0: Welcome to the Entrepreneur Academy with your hosts, Nick Dutton of Engage Finance and James Cross from Crossover Property on this episode of the Entrepreneur Academy.
1: Bankers have been the latest bad guy. After 2008, if you're a banker, you're going to be shot at dawn. And most of the time, the problems you're dealing with, you know, didn't originate from you. But of course, you're the fool guy. But
0: now, here are your
1: hosts, Nick and James.
0: Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Academy. Uh, We've got myself and Jim here today hosting. Hello, everyone. And we've got our guest today, Victoria Collette-Jones, thank you for joining us. You're very thank you. welcome,
1: thanks for having me.
0: So if you want to just give us a bit
1: of a, an introduction as to who you are for anyone that doesn't know. Gosh, where do I start? So um, basically my main career has been as a dentist for the last 20 years. Uh, but in 2016 I came across Bitcoin and at the time I was running my own business. And because I'd started that particular business, in December 2007, especially in the early days of my career with a very capital intensive business, I then uh, ran into uh, the financial crisis. So, mm. you know, anyone who started their own business knows that, yeah. you know, it's, you're not going to make a profit in the early days, and also yeah. with something like a dental practice, there's a lot of investment in terms of the equipment, the materials, and trying to encourage patient marketing, trying to encourage patients to come in. So, you know, there's a huge investment for doing something like that. So, you know, I started off with some savings, started my business in December 2007, and then nine months later, um, when my de- mm. savings were depleted yeah, yeah, and yeah. I needed yeah. a loan from the bank, no bank on the planet was lending money to no. anybody. No. It was very inconvenient, and I. Never ever anticipated in a million years that i would ever be in that situation and actually i think it's very unfortunate because i don't think anyone would have anticipated being you know in the whole of the last century that was exceptionally bad timing um however i'm i'm a great believer in things working out for the best because i'd say that the one thing it did for me was it really made me look into why that situation happened because you know whenever I come up in a situation in my life where something's gone wrong Mm -hmm. or didn't go the way that I planned I want to understand it so that it never happens again and so this really prompted me to look really deeply into you know what was going on in the financial system why I couldn't get a loan from the bank you know I mean I was in a situation where I was having to go to the bank going but I can't afford it I don't have any money and you know the, the woman behind the counter just kind of Shrugs and you just kind of go.
0: Computer says no. I know.
1: (laughs) It's just like, what do you do? And of course, there are some people. There are some people who that's their daily life. You know, I mean, you hear on you hear on the news, you know, where um, you know people have want to access payday loans and they can only get a loan for. Three hundred percent, you just like oh, go. How do yep, these yeah. How do these people survive? But at the same time, right. you know, you're hearing stories about Donald Trump saying we need negative interest rates, which basically mean that you know, the U.S. is going to be paid to borrow money. It's just like that's where the real inequality is in society. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are really championing we need to tax the wealthy. It's like the wealthy don't pay any tax. No. Yeah, that's what they <laughs> want to be. Because they make yeah. sure that they're, you know, they're There's massively, you know, right. they're massively in debt, so they don't pay tax, and they're also getting access to much lower interest rates that, you know, the average person doesn't have access to. Mm-hmm. I mean, only recently, I think, Lloyd's has just announced that, you know, if you have an overdraft with them, it's now 39%. I mean, yes, I, nice. lived, I lived on my overdraft yeah. for the first, you know, 10 years of my career, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because especially when you know, you're first starting out, you know, it's expensive, you know, getting a roof over your head, you know, everyone wants to jump on the property market rather than be renting because they feel that that's, you know, the thing that you have to do. And then you have to furnish it and decorate it or fix it. And then you have to feed yourself, you know, it's extremely expensive to be a person in Western society these (laughs) days. And for people to kind of get a start, you know, they rely, they are relying on credit. And, You know, my parents used to say when I was growing up that they brought us up on credit cards. Now, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a whole other conversation you could talk about on that mentality. But for some people, that is their reality. You know, it's what credit they have access to, which Mm -hmm. just helps them run their lives even before they start a business. Um, So, you know, things like interest rates are such a a critical thing these days. And um, no one talks about it. You know, you see it on the news. It's just like we need to tax the wealthy more. It's like, guys... (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Think about <laughs> who's playing the highest it, interest. Yeah. Exactly what yeah.
1: planet... This is not where the inequality is. But, of course, this... But, of course, you know, this is why this subject fascinates me so much because I didn't get it straight away. I had to... I mean, I became a dentist. I wasn't taught much about business. And so, um, you know, in order to run my own... And I hadn't been taught much about business in my family either. I mean, most none of my family had run their own business. Okay. they all had, yeah. you know, all uh, normal course, jobs. Isn't? And so... You know, when I became a dentist, I mean, and then I wanted to run my own business, they were like, why can't you just be a normal dentist? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, you don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did, did you always want to have your business?
1: I didn't. Actually, I didn't always want to have my own business. I started off just wanting to be a dentist, thinking that that would be a nice life. Yeah. But the problem is um, you start training to become a dentist and you have, where well, you go into dentistry, imagining that you're going to be in this really glamorous career. Yeah. And the re- reality is it's not glamorous at all. You know, more often yeah. than not, especially in the early days of your career, you're dealing with people who've got very significant problems, many of whom don't even brush their teeth. I mean, you know, that didn't even occur to me, you know, when I decided um, to go into dentistry. So, you, you know, when you're... 15, 16, deciding what you're going to do as a career. Mm -hmm. You have this vision vision. of what it will be like. And then reality hits home. So, you know, I was getting a touch of reality as a dental student because, of course, you know, you're treating the local population in in the dental hospital. But I was still very lucky because I trained in London. So I got a very good education Mm -hmm. Um, and I was taught to do the best possible dentistry that it was possible to do but then of course I qualified and as a young dentist the first place that you're expected to work is the NHS mm-hmm. now yeah, the yeah. thing is the NHS is and I, this is a really unpopular thing to say and um, people are probably going to shoot me down but I've held this opinion all my life Go it's, for it. it's totally dysfunctional system mm. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 <laughs> and so you know what I couldn't get over when I first started working in the NHS is like this is crazy you know I've been taught to do all these amazing things but you know, as a, as a dental student um, in the, um, you know, towards the end of my career where we were treating patients, you know, you'd have a whole morning to see two patients and do a filling on each of them. But the moment you started working on the NHS, you were expected to do three fillings in an hour.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Now, I... Now, I know that, okay, you've got the help of a dental nurse and hopefully a well-organised system, but the thing is, you know, for some people, it can take them 20 minutes to go numb. So if on the NHS all you've got is 20 minutes to do a filling and, you know, the anaesthetic doesn't work, you know, you have to find ways to kind of... Yeah, yeah, you've got to find ways to kind of... uh, mix and match the situation and also the other thing a lot of people don't realize that from a business perspective is the nhs is effectively a monopoly you know it's got it's got a fantastic brand um, that everyone's been led to believe in but actually in a a free market system it's very difficult to compete with monopolies. so if you want to do something outside of the nhs system it's much more expensive to compete, yeah, so yeah. a lot of people don't understand why private dentistry is so much more expensive than NHS dentistry. But of course, part of the problem with the NHS dentistry is how it's funded behind the scenes. Yeah, so, yeah. so eventually, when I set myself up as a private dentist, what I was up against is, you know, there are there are then certain regulations, like you have to have emergent, uh, how to deal with medical emergencies training every year now in an NHS practice the government will fund that but in a private practice when I was for running it on of my day. own yeah. I have to pay for it myself I could go to the NHS organisation who was organising it but as a private practice they'd charge me a £1,000 yeah. to do it yeah. Yeah. even though I was a small business and I was just like hello yeah. and the thing is you can't tell the patients that directly because it sounds petty it's just like you know when they come to you you go why are you so much more expensive it's yeah. just like I can't yeah. explain that to you in five minutes. It, it just is. <laughs> <laughs> My expenses are out. If this is what you want, this is what it costs. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's nothing I can do yeah. about it. Yeah. But, you know, behind the scenes, it, it's much more complicated than that. And so what happens is you have this really dysfunctional system that gets more and more dysfunctional because very f- fewer and few people can escape from it. It's just now, a
0: circle, it's, isn't
1: it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, it's easier for the dentist to escape because it's less emotive. I mean, people are less likely mm-hmm. to die from dental problems than yeah. they are medical yeah. problems. Um, so the dentist can kind of go, okay, we're doing it this way, and everyone will grumble and complain that the dentists are really greedy, but no one's going to die, so it's not yeah. like they're going to yeah. go for you with a pitchfork. Yeah. I mean, they probably do metaphorically in the newspapers, yeah, yeah. I get what saying, but yeah. it's not the same, you know, the medics can't do that, not to the, not to the same extent. Yeah. And so, you end up kind of growing this beer moth that you know, no one can control um, and no one can compete with. And the problem with that is, you know, you you end up with <sighs> perverse incentives, I think, is, is the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and because the government are controlling the funds, they're focused on the costs, They might be focused on the quality, but they'll reduce the costs and then they'll try and control the quality by introducing more legislation. So they're not controlling the problem um, in terms of making sure the service has more resources. It's just they deplete it of resources, then the quality goes down and then they punish everyone for the fact that it's bad quality. It's just like this is so dysfunctional. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably similar in quite a lot of industries, isn't it? It's It's... happening across the board, you know, because once I, once I finally set up my private practice and I had, you know, uh professionals from other industries coming to see me, you know, you start to, you have more time to talk to them. Yeah. And they'll tell you similar stories. I and mean, yeah. it's happening in the legal profession, it's happening oh, in the police. Yeah. Um, it's happening in my sector for sure. Yeah. yeah, finance, I mean bankers have been the latest bad guy. We're you know, in the eighties and nineties it was yeah, the yeah. it was the dentist after two thousand and eight. If you're a banker, you're gonna be you're gonna be shot at dawn. Yeah. And most of the time the problems you're dealing with, you know, didn't originate from you. But of course right. you're the full guy. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same with the dentists. I mean I think a few years ago there was a Daily Mail headline because some dentist had been um, uh, caught shooting some lion, and there was a there was a headline about something like why why this is why we're afraid of dentists or something along those lines. I, said, I was appalled. I was just yeah, like, so yeah, any something completely random. I know, and yeah. I was on Twitter. I was going, how dare they! <laughs> <laughs> But of course nobody nobody cares. You know, they're all you know, they just like the sensational yeah. the, the sensational headline. But, you know, these are these are the things that um you know really affect our society and things like you know people's health I mean as a dentist especially in a private practice you tend to attract the people that no one else has been able to help that tends to be the tipping point at which they're willing to pay to get something better yeah Yeah. and so um you know you end up seeing people who will tell you heartbreaking stories Mm -hmm. you know of the experiences they had and sad to say because i've been part of the industry um I understand how those situations come about, I understand it from the professional point of view and I understand it from the patient's point of view. And it breaks my heart because I know a big part of the problem is the system. And so for me, I just didn't want that on my shoulders, you know, no matter what it cost me. I just wanted to be out of that environment so that I give people what I felt they needed. And, you know, I couldn't do it as a charity, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family Mm -hmm. with, you Mm -hmm. know, mass you know, so in order to provide that service I had to Charge my patients. Unfortunately, I was able to keep that balance going enough, um, that I was able to support myself. But even as a private dentist charging 10 times as much as the NHS dentist, I was probably learn- earning less than they were. Yeah, so it was really. Exactly, yeah, yeah. you know, because I-, I couldn't make the profit. And so, you know, it was just so costly on every single level. But I did it because I wanted to escape the dysfunction of the, uh, NHS system in order to provide my patients with the best service that I could but of course then in the process of becoming a business owner I started to understand the dysfunction in the financial system. Yeah, yeah, you You learn a lot of new things that you didn't realise when you were just a dentist. Absolutely. Absolutely, you know, and the thing is when you're an associate, it's so as as an associate dentist working for someone else it's so easy to criticise and it's kind of go I can't believe they're doing that. It's only when you try to run it yourself. So, you know, in my early 30s and my arrogance, I was kind of like, right, no one can get it right, it's time for me to do it right. (laughs) But of course, you know in your efforts to try and do it right you realise what all these other businesses are up against, mm-hmm. um, and so I kind of learned the hard way. Not only that, right in the midst of the financial crisis, but you know, yeah, just they, add to it. Exactly, <laughs> but, but they say that any any poison that you come across, uh, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And oh it's boy, true. did it make me stronger! I've learned yeah. so much as a result of going through that process. I do not regret it yeah. at all. Um, How
0: was it jumping from just being a dentist to having a business? Because it's similar for me that you know I was a banker which you do the banking but actually running your own business is completely different oh absolutely running accounts a team or whatever how do well, you it's, it's,
1: you know, it's like a massive juggler, you know, you suddenly got these 10 balls in the air that mm. you've got to keep balanced. And also as a dentist, you know, just being a dentist itself is a pretty stressful job. You know, you've got high-speed yeah, instruments yeah, on, yeah. A, on a moving yeah. target, yeah. you know, that don't, that don't want to hurt, often quite stressed emotionally. So that's challenging in itself. And then you add in the mix trying to run a business. I mean, you have no idea how complicated it is and, you know, tax liabilities um, and also the balance between what you're able to charge your customers against what it costs you to actually run that business. Mm -hmm, Um, You know, there are some businesses that are very cheap to run because they don't require a lot of equipment, but in a dental business, you've got the equipment, Mm -hmm. that equipment needs servicing. If it breaks down, it needs fixing. I mean, I had to buy a a washer disinfector because they they were about to bring in new rules saying that everyone had to have a washer disinfector, even though, you know, this technology hadn't been around very long, but you know, I knew it was on the horizon, so I spent 10 grand on it, and anyway, these things are breaking all over the country. So yeah. all of these dentists have been told that they had to have this piece of equipment that was fairly new. I think they've had to um, change the legislation now. But I bought this damn thing and it, it, you know, it broke down so many times. And So not only do you buy it, you've Difficult. got to have people come in and, and repair it and fix it. And of course, every time it breaks down, it means you can't have patients in the surgery because mm-hmm. they've got to come and fix it. Um, so, you know, keeping that going. And then the staff, you yeah, know, yeah. if if you're especially if you're in a small business you know you become really dependent on your staff and so you know if the nurse if it's just me and the nurse and the nurse calls and sick it's like sorry guys yeah. not working today <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. or, or one of them lives in derby and you're both snowed in Sorry, (laughs) nothing's happening today. And, you know, you've got to keep that balanced all the time. So you can have a cash flow forecast, which you think will predict what your earnings will be. And the thing is, as, as working for someone else, you know, your life is a little bit more stable and predictable. And actually... If you have to take a day off because it's snowed in, it's not really that big a deal for you because you can right. probably cope with a day off. But of course, if you have a day off as a business owner, yep. not only are you not earning yourself, but you're not paying your the bills business, either. Yeah. You know, so you think you've got more freedom as a business owner. The, the, the reality is you're more committed than you've ever been in your life. Absolutely, yeah. Which is why you
0: need to love it.
1: You absolutely have to If you don't love it Forget it Um, And and you know And you're where the buck stops When there's no one else You can delegate that to So Christmas Eve Christmas Mm -hmm. Day New Year's Day I mean I had one patient Who called me on New Year's Eve because he was going to the party that evening, in his front tooth had fallen out, and I had to drive all the way from Gloucester back to Nottingham oh, in order wow. to fix it for him. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't have done that for everybody, to be fair, but literally his family had kept me in business. But even so, you know, having that, and not only that, I had to suddenly say to my parents, "Would you take care of my daughter, please?" I've got to go to Nottingham. Yeah, and they didn't well. like that on New Year's Eve either. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, these, all of these sorts of things. You know, really affect your life. I mean, I'm lucky I wasn't abroad or something. There would have been no one else I could delegate that to. So, you know, those sorts of times of the year when most of the country is off work, that tends to be the time when you can't really be make yourself really busy because no one's interested in going to the dentist during Christmas and New Year, but woe betide... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> what happens to, to your there. business if you're not there if yeah. something goes wrong and yeah. there's no one else to fix it so you know and that's really stressful
0: it is the problem for you there would have been he would have gone to someone else then yeah. which you know one off five but actually probably would have stayed there
1: possibly yeah. because of yeah. that
0: and that is the same verse, you know if you're not first to it or you might think, oh, I can't do that today. When you know, there's plenty of us doing yeah. it in that sector. Yeah. You don't just lose that one; you lose that trust. Or
1: absolutely, else, you know, yeah. absolutely. And it's so difficult. And you know, and everyone, you know, anyone who starts their own business, generally speaking, they are going to be conscientious individuals. Um, and so, you know, feeling like you're letting people down yeah. as well. You know, yeah. so it's a yeah. it's a it's a real psychological pressure. But the reality is, you can't do everything. And. But starting small, you kind of have to, and then you just have to hope that you grow fast enough that you can start delegating these things to other people before you burn out. But it's a fine balance, you know. I mean, there's a high proportion of businesses that fail in the early days, and these are probably the reasons why, because, you know, keeping all of that in balance whilst also keeping your own health and your own sanity in balance is a really, really challenging thing to do. Mm. Um, You know, and... I know people who straight out of the gate, you know, um, straight out of qualifying from university, their first ambition was to open their own practice and some of them did. But I think I, I certainly gained a lot from working for 10 years for other people because you learn a lot from watching other people's mistakes because it doesn't matter how competent you are, everyone's going to make somewhere mistakes yeah, somewhere absolutely. along the line yeah, and yeah. i think there's someone very famous who said the man who never made a mistake never made anything so yeah. you know yeah. it's part of like and in fact i hate the word mistake i like the word learning opportunity yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah, these yeah. learning opportunities absolutely. and in fact if if uh, we didn't have if we didn't have um you know, those opportunities, life would be boring, you know, if we've got everything right all the time, where's the challenge, where's the fun in that? Yeah, um, exactly. So, you know, I think being a business person or being an entrepreneur is all about that willingness to kind of go for it. And if you do make a mistake, be humble, say sorry, do what you can to make it right. And often, you know, by doing that, you will build a relationship more and if you kind of go, huh, don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: no you're away from it. <laughs> you're
1: horrible for criticising me. It's yeah. just like, you know, own up, take responsibility, yeah. take it on the chin, do what you can to put it right, and you will have a much stronger customer who will trust you because they will know that if something goes wrong, you will try and fix it for them. Whereas, you know, if you're too sensitive or, or feel... Attacked or victimized um, by the fact that everyone's out to get you. It's just like it's not everyone's out to get you. you know these are the challenges that you need to be able to overcome yeah, yeah, um, in order to in order to be successful.
0: And you don't you don't necessarily have that as a when you're employed. No, because exactly. if someone has a go at you when you're employed, you're like, oh, okay, slam the phone down, and then you're like, well, I'm still going to get paid on the, at the exactly. end of the month anyway. It doesn't yeah, really exactly, matter. not my problem. Yeah, it's Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Or I refer you to the complaints division. Also, you know, it's. <laughs> yeah. 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 And
1: how many businesses train their staff To actually, you know, try and nurture Those really complaining Patients, yeah. Yeah. you know or, or customers or whoever they are Because everyone seems to be complaining these days yeah. And it's really stressful Because, you know, there are some things you can fix And other things you can't um, but um, knowing how to draw those boundaries and keep yourself psychologically sane, um, you know, is a challenge in itself. It I is. Don't think they teach you that
0: because it's your baby, isn't it? It's yeah. your th- and you almost don't want to give it to someone else in case they mess it up.
1: Yes. Yeah. So learning a nice to delegate. Like, yeah, yeah. Learning yeah, to yeah. delegate <laughs> yeah. really tricky. Yeah. really tricky and then you and some people you can delegate to and they do it brilliantly and other people it's just like oh my god you yeah. you going be bankrupt if <laughs> I have you no. working for me any longer yeah. um, but then of course you've kind of got all the legislation to deal with you know how long they've been there so having the courage to kind of go this is not working out and make that decision quickly yeah. um, you know I've just had to line, I've yeah. had to do that a few times as well yeah. so um, did you have quite
2: a few challenges then in, in terms of building that team of people you're working with and, and building your business
1: very much so. I mean, there are some people I was extremely lucky with. Um, there are other people who honestly set, nearly sent me to an early grave <laughs> 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 until I was just like, um, enough, I'm done. It's just like, <laughs> this has to end now. <laughs> Again, that's another challenge. You know, when you're working for other people, unless you've been a manager, you wouldn't necessarily have come across, you know, that some of those sorts of issues. But when it's a business and you know and especially a small business that depends on key people and one of those key people turns out to be (laughs) a nightmare (laughs) you know knowing how to deal with that quickly um is uh is um you know another skill and some of them will really test your patience because they're really clever you know and they will you know and they will study what their rights are and it's just like okay
0: (laughs) it's all added things that to add to your day, isn't it? Where you just think, oh, well, enough going on. The reason I, I delegated know. it to you was for that extra time. I know, and I know. now you're creating more hassle.
1: Sometimes you just have to be very clear, and, and you know, if something feels off, generally it is. Um, and best, um, it's normally best to nip it in the bud sooner rather than later. Yeah. And
0: then you you sold your business in 2017. I did. Yes. Was it? Was that always an intention, or how did that come across?
1: No, I mean, my original intention had been to. S- uh, to been to start very small because I was starting from scratch. So a lot of dentists, when they start their own business, they'll buy another business. Okay. But the, but the problem for me doing that is that most businesses had, had, had businesses have an element of NHS work, and I wanted to be away from the NHS completely. Right. Um, so um, I wanted to start my own practice. I wanted to start it small. I had some people in the area who knew who I was, so I knew I'd start with um, you know a few people who who would be prepared to come and see me. Um, And, um, yeah, I just wanted to start it from there and grow it. And I'd already worked for a number of corporations who'd been trying the private business model. What I didn't realize when I started, of course, is that they're starting with a whole bunch of cash behind them so they can afford to fund themselves from the beginning. So I knew that it would be slow in the beginning, but I knew I would get there eventually because I've done it three times already for other people. Yeah. but you know, I hadn't factored on this you know massive bank of cash that you needed in in the background in order to support that. I just knew I could do it. I just didn't know how long, yeah. you know how much money I would need in or, in order to do it. I'm completely unrealistic about it. So I think that also made um, it more of a challenge. It was just like, yeah, I can do this thing. Just kind of go ahead and plan as best you can. But you know, so often there are there are things that um, you can't see. Yeah. So my so my plan was to start small. Um, So I'd done this for other people and I knew eventually I'd get busy so I thought, you know, once I was busy enough, I'd then move to a new location. Okay. Um, and, um, And so that was always the plan but actually, because of the financial crisis and of course trying... You know, the financial crisis made it harder whereas if i'd been able to kind of gain momentum in a in a situation where things weren't quite so challenging i probably wouldn't have got so burnt out mm-hmm. um but because i'd had that challenge and all of the challenges of kind of starting a business eventually by the end of 10 years you know i'd, I'd been working with a business coach and like. You know, we got he'd helped get me to the stage where I was busy enough that this was a realistic prospect. He got me to write a business plan, and I was writing the business plan. Of course, by then I understood more about the financial system and some of the bigger picture, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, and I was just like. I then understood what a risk it was I didn't understand that the first time I wrote a business plan for my little business but when it came to writing the business plan for the big business I understood what a risk it was and also it meant I'd be signing up for another 10 years similar to the last 10 years because it would be another set of challenges I mean growing from a small boutique business even to a medium sized business is a big leap you know because it's going to be more capital expenses for the building more equipment more staff it's just like I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. Um, And I was kind of already coming to that conclusion anyway. But of course, the big thing is, well, if I'm not going to do that, what else am I going to do instead? Um, And I didn't have the answer to that question straight away. But there were clearly things that I, you know, I'd go home and I would read and watch videos and I could do it endlessly because I was just so fascinated about it and I was just like but I wasn't coming home reading about teeth or learning about the latest treatment techniques whereas there are dentists that do that yeah so I was just like I'm clearly in the wrong job yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know I, I've got this really big challenge and this is not where my passion lies. Um and of course, you know, learning about the financial system and everything else that goes with it, I've always been intrigued by systems. Um and uh, you know, the bigger picture. So even as a student, you know, I, I won prizes for various things. One of them was an essay called Partial Denture is a Poor Man's Bridge. So of course that had an economic component to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's about why people make health decisions and how economics has has an effect on that. And then of course, you know, Going from being a dental student to actually um, working um, in the NHS, and then of course the you know—the issues between NHS and private healthcare. There was a lot related to healthcare and money that I had to kind of get my head around for twenty years, um, and I'd always been quite fascinated by that, and um, and so I did go quite early in my career actually I figured out dentistry probably wasn't going to be for me but again it was a question of well, what else will I do instead yeah. and having worked for a number of businesses I could see how they're very focused clinically but again you know a lot of these older health profession it's almost like you know sales is a dirty word and we don't yeah. talk about that yeah. you know yeah. people come to us Killed because to we're professional yeah. we don't you don't talk <laughs> about marketing but and and the thing is it's a very old-fashioned idea and it's nice to work in a bubble where that's not an issue but of course it's just not realistic no and so um, and of course I knew very little about it but my dad had studied for an MBA and my sister had a business degree and I quite enjoyed the conversations I had with them so I decided that I'd study for an MBA because you know Nottingham University was just down the road Um, so I signed up for that because I thought it would be quite interesting so and it was, you know, a lot of my essays were focused on the dental industry and, um, you know, some of the issues there you know, in terms of crisis management, PR. Um, economics was really interesting. It was one of the economics lectures when they were explaining about monopolies that I had my aha moment. I was like, the NHS, the monopoly. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no one explains yeah. that to you in dental school. Yeah. But for me, I was just like, oh, my God. And then, of course, they start explain- they start talking about the supply and demand curve and how if you... Um, you know, reduce prices, it increases demand. And, of course, that means it has to follow with supply. So then you start to realise, you know, why the (laughs) NHS is just kind of growing exponentially, you know, because they've artificially suppressed prices for so long. Mm -hmm. um, You know, that exponentially increases the demand. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but, you know, a good proportion of the population works for the NHS nowadays in hospitals and staff and cleaning and the management, everything that goes with it. I mean, it's a monster. Um, and so, you know, you constantly have people clamoring, we need more and more money for the NHS. It's like, stop it growing! help! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah, yeah. laughs> but of course, that's not a simple thing to do, no. and it's more complicated. Um, so, um, anyway, I've, I've gone off on a tangent. No, uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What I was getting at is whether you, you built the business to sell right. and whether that's different to someone that was building the business to keep almost.
1: I didn't anticipate selling it. You know, my original plan was to move somewhere bigger because, of course, you know, I was anticipating have another, having another 30 years in dentistry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was about the fact that I was making an investment um, for a long-term gain. But, you know, I just kind of got to the point where I kind of thought, I don't want to do this for the next 20 years of my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, the system is so dysfunctional. Now that I understood the financial system, I understood the risks of really running a business. Um, and, um, and, of course, you know, at the moment, you know, watching all of these shops on the high street fail, and um, and of course everyone blames it on Amazon, but of yeah. course the restaurants are failing as well. Yeah. It's just like well, I'm yeah. sorry, but the restaurants aren't online. No. So you know, there's something else going on here. And actually, because I was running effectively running a retail business myself, because I was based in the centre of Nottingham, you know what you realise is the problem for these businesses is all of the expenses that are increasing behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So So um, after the financial crisis, you know the the government had to bail out all of the banks, but and um, I think the idea at the time I think Nick Robinson sold this to the general public very effectively it's just like yes you know investing in banks is a good idea you know easily make our money back okay (laughs) Um, but of course the reality is if the government's given all their money to the banks in order to bail the banks out you know they still have all their other costs that they've got to meet so you know they've got to increase their borrowing while they're subsidising the banks and so they've got to get that extra money from somewhere and of course you know the general public are already suffering as a result of the banks not lending them any money so they can't tax the general public So what's the next easy target? Let's go for the businesses. Mm -hmm. So in the 10 years that I was operating, you know, I was watching, you know, um, things like, you know, the minimum wage gradually creeping up and up. Then, of course, Then, of course, um, them insisting that all businesses now, even small businesses, every single business had to pay their staff pensions. Now, don't get me wrong, I have nothing wrong with, I think there's nothing wrong with supporting my staff. But, you know, when the only options for giving your staff a pension is the stock market. I'm sorry, especially when you understand the financial system. (laughs) It's like... I'll buy my gold coin or a Bitcoin, but you know why the stock market? You know, no flex, no flexibility there. And I was just like, this is I'm not having this anymore. And so even as a business, you know, so many of your freedoms are kind of taken away from you that it gets really hard to operate. Yeah. And of course, when I was looking, for, when I was looking to move locations, I was looking for new venues around Nottingham City Centre. What you realise is they'll advertise the price for the rent. But then someone had to point out for me, yeah, but your rates are going to be half as much again. I was like, half as much again? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, yeah, yeah. you know, you start you start doing the business plan, you kind of think, okay, I can just about go to that rent. And then they kind of go, but you've got to pay rates as well. I was like, yeah. are you kidding me? No wonder all of these shops are struggling. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. Um, and, um, you know, and then you read these reports on the news about, oh, you know, Amazon's taking over the what? It's like, no, no, you've killed it. You're killing it right now, but of course nobody knows, and that's what's really drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you have conversations go well. You know, it's Amazon. It's just oh my god, yeah. I, I think people's spending
2: way. habits as well have changed slightly. I mean, everyone's money. Yeah, they want it cheap and they want it now and they want it quick. Yeah. They um, do. I mean, you look at obviously taking into account restaurants and stuff. Look at like things like Deliveroo and Uber Eats and mm. Just Eat and True. every you can you can get takeaways from the restaurants.
1: No one really wants to go out and have a meal anymore. They just want food fast. Well the thing is Even if you do Because I mean I still like I, I mean I grew up with and I came to nice restaurants So I still like Occasionally yeah. I went to one recently And um, You know Quite a nice restaurant And by the end of the day By the end of the evening The bill was £70 But You know The meat was overcooked yeah. You know The accompaniment was mm. burnt Underneath it We you only saw that Once you cut mm. into it And started eating it and it was just like You know It's expensive anyway yeah. And then When you do pay that money Often the quality is really poor So, you know, it's, it's, it's a double, it's a double whammy. Um, And of course, you know, I've, I've seen it, you know, working in the NHS because, of course, like I said earlier, you know, the quality is going down and down and the government's way of fixing that is to introduce new laws in order to try and keep the quality up. But all that means is that you're squeezing the service providers from both ends, which is extremely stressful. And then everyone worries why everyone's got mental health problems these days. (laughs) It's hardly surprising (laughs) the pressure that they're under. Uh, It's unbelievable. Anyway, that's Those. another tangent. No, 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 <laughs> so I
0: think because I'm conscious, I want to talk about Bitcoin okay. primarily, um, which I'll leave Jim to do because I, he understands more about it than I do. <laughs> but I yeah. just wanted to run through our quick fire questions because okay. it's a bit of a thing we do um, for every guest. Yeah. Um, so I'll put you on the spot and just try and answer as, as quickly as possible. Okay. The Entrepreneur Academy, quick fire questions. So, question one what's something people seem to misunderstand about you?
1: I don't know how much I care, I think. Because, um, you know, sometimes, especially if I'm in a a stressful situation, you know, learning to say no is a real skill. And so in a stressful situation, you just kind of go, no. (laughs) You know, it is coming from a place of caring and the fact that, you know, you want to establish boundaries. But, of course, sometimes people on the receiving end of that are not privy to the bigger picture. And so all they accept is that, oh, my God. (laughs) So, you know, I I think... um, you know anyone anyone in that kind of position if they're too harsh often it's because they've got so many other things going on If yeah. someone approaches them at the wrong moment yeah. And they've got the wrong reaction yeah. They can then see that as part of their personality Definitely. Or how they're seeing them But actually it's not about them at all It's purely about the amount of the pressure that they're the under yeah. Yeah. I
0: think a lot of people can relate to that
1: yeah. yeah And of course if that's all someone ever sees of you You can end up with this reputation Or persona Yeah being a nightmare i mean there was one place that i worked um and this new dentist started and before she met me everyone had told her about me (laughs) and told told her that i was a complete nightmare and uh, she was just kind of nodding her head and then of course you know she met me in the staff room, a little bit scared and actually we completely hit it off you know which she she thought she thought was really funny but of course you know a lot of these younger girls who'd kind of just been on the back of my, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, that was, yeah. that was their impression of me. And even now that's how they still see me. Yeah. Um, and we laugh about it. I mean, it was quite nice, but it's quite nice. We became friends. So she kind of gave me that perspective. So we think it's really funny, but of course, <laughs> you know, for the young kids who've been on the receiving end of that, it's, um... It's not funny at all. You know, they find it quite distressing and and um, and actually they will cope with that by being gossipy or vengeful yeah, and, yeah. you know, which ultimately doesn't do them any favours, but it's really hard for them to understand because they've not been in that position.
0: Question two, what do you think makes someone a, an entrepreneur?
1: Very diverse skill set. You need to be a pretty good all-rounder, I think, mm. to cope with all the challenges. I think if you're someone who's just really exceptional at a particular skill, you're better off working for someone else, but the trouble, of course, is they become so successful they feel like they're being exploited. So they want to do it on their own. Yeah. Um, but of course, then the problem is if they don't have if they don't have the business skills as well, they then they can then find themselves um, in a situation that might not be as preferable. If if you're if you're a very if you have a very talented skill set, I think your best bet is to find the best possible environment to be in and let every, yeah. someone Unpacked. else yeah. deal with all of the other stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very, it's pretty rare to find someone who's good at that and can do all of the other stuff mm-hmm. as well, really e- exceptionally. Um, so, but other than the, but deep down, other than that, you know, it's the passion for it. You yeah. know, the, the ones I know of who are extremely skilled and have gone on to run their own business, they've managed their own, business um but the way in which they keep it going is cuz they just live and breathe it mm. so you know and that's often how they compensate but you know that is quite can be quite stressful to yourself yeah. as an individual yeah. and also to your family it's really hard to be good at everything and not many people are which is why you know if you can put a team together of people who can compensate for your weaknesses and yeah. you know and and you can find a compatible team that's the ideal mm-hmm. um because it's really really hard to achieve Great success on your own. Yeah, so yeah, much of it is about great. about the team members you have around you and the people who can help and support you.
0: Question um, three, give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice.
1: Uh, <laughs> go back <laughs> to climbing. <time> <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows for sure what the right decision is and actually the, the decision evolves because you make decisions that aren't quite right. Sometimes you don't know what you want until you experience what you don't want. Yeah. So I think... Um, I think the trick is, is to just, you know, follow your passion, you know, whatever's inspiring you right now, do it as well as you can to the best of your ability. And when you decide you don't want to do it anymore, don't feel any shame in saying, I want to change direction. There's nothing wrong with that. If something else is firing your interest, then follow that because that energy will keep you going through the the difficulties. And you know, there's no perfect situation, every situation in life has its advantages and its disadvantages. But at least if you're doing something you're passionate about, that will support you and keep you going through the hard times. Whereas if you're doing something you're not passionate about, it
0: will be doubly hard. One word to describe your personal self and then your business self. Are you different <laughs> in them? or?
1: Um, not really, because I like to feel I have integrity. Right. And I think, um, you know, integrity is about the fact that you make good decisions in your personal life and your and your business life. And so, and also the thing about dentistry as well is it, it is a caring profession. Um, I suppose, I don't know, although you do have to be, I suppose you have more permission to be, um, black and white about things in a business environment, whereas in a personal, in a personal environment, um, you have to, you know there are larger things to consider. Yeah. Because in a business environment, if someone decides they don't want to come back and see you as your client anymore, that's fine. But in your personal life, you've got long-standing relationships, yeah. and so yeah. it's harder to be very direct. Sometimes um, you have to be more diplomatic. Whereas in a, in a business environment, if You're making critical decisions that other people's well-being depends on. It's just like, I'm going to say now, I don't care if I offend you. Whereas in your personal life, it's just like, I really don't think you should do it that way. Yeah, Yeah. okay. As a general rule, I would say, I try and be more diplomatic in my personal life and my business life. Whereas in my business life, it's very kind of like, I've learnt enough now. Because if you don't make the hard decisions when you need to make the hard decisions, it'll bite you later. So just do it now, do it quick, be done with it. Yeah.
0: If you could change, we sort of touched on this, but if you could change one thing about your business sector, about the sector you're in, what, what would it be? And oh I'm my we touched gosh. on the
1: NHS. <laughs> going back to my business and um, deciding that um, I was going to sell it, and of course then realising I had another 20 years in my career, it's like, okay, what am I going to do next? So um, towards the end of my business, um, once I'd understood the problems with the financial system, also... Um, in the process of running the business, you know what you don't realise before you actually start running a business is that the card machine you go around and pay on all the time, yeah. um, you know, isn't taking the payment from your credit card and putting it straight in your bank account. You know, there's an intermediary that owns that credit card machine, and so basically, if that's the only way you've got of taking payments, if anything happens to that inter- intermediary, you're stuffed. Yeah. So you know, so there were times when you know I'd be in the middle of treating a patient or you know, some complicated procedure and the nurse come up and go, Oh, the card machine's broken so the person who just left wasn't able to pay and I'm just like, Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> You know, and of course, especially in the early days, that would have had a huge that yeah. would have huge effects on my cash flow. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you know, in the early days there were days where if something had gone wrong with the treatment that I was doing for a particular patient so that I wasn't able to take a payment that day, I would have been bankrupt the following week. So, yeah. you know, when things are that close, you know, that something like the car machine not working is debatable now you know when you're more established you've got more of a cushion so it's not so much of an issue but of course young businesses are going to yeah, yeah. come across these problems yeah, yeah, yeah. all the all the time so the car machine breaking was an issue also there were times when um there were issues with online banking so you'd see it in the news it's just like oh no one's got their pay slip today because there's an issue with online yes. banking so but it have, it affected the businesses as well because that card machine is accepting the payment from you and then the intermediary is putting it in your bank account. Now, it turned out that on one of these occasions, the intermediary was relying on NatWest or Royal Bank of Scotland. So because there was a problem with their online banking system, they weren't I able to transfer sense. the payments that the card machine has accepted into my bank account. So what... So. Even when they are accepting it, it still takes three days, you know, the payment yeah. doesn't come into the car machine and you get paid straight away. There's already a three-day delay. So when this happened with RBS, you know, it was being delayed by a week. I was like, I, no. can't, I can't run my business like this. No. <laughs> so, you know, it, so it, you know, it's those, those sorts of issues. So, um, you know, it was, those things made me kind of think, what do I do? Because actually, if the car machine broke down, the only thing we could ask our patients to do was to go down the road and take cash out of the cash machine. But of course, now they're talking about cash society. If it's cash to society, what yeah. are you supposed to well, do? They rely on it. If yeah. the car machine yeah. breaks, you know, your whole. And you, what you start to realise is that in all of these other things you're doing, that's the. Where, you know, you're you taught to look at risks. You know, as a dental health professional, when you're doing health treatments for people, you have to look at risks. When you're running a business, you're told to look at risk, but most of the time you don't really have to because most of the times you're looking, um, you know, uh, you're working in a fairly strong environment. You don't think there are that many risks. I mean, there are, but they don't come across, come up as often. Yeah. Whereas a healthcare professional, you're looking at them all the time because each individual is different. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of part of my genetic professional DNA to look so for risks. The
0: yeah.
1: yeah. So running a business, I started to realise that this car machine was a real weak link my business because if anything happened to that or the intermediary behind it game over you know especially if you're running very tight cash flow and not only that you know behind the scenes you know everything's getting more and more expensive but you know i'm already charging top dollar for what i do if i start putting my prices up i'll start losing my clients you know you've got all of those things to to balance out as well so um so i decided i didn't like my business being so dependent on this pivotal piece of equipment and especially as i'd started to learn about the financial system and the problems with the banks and everything else like that i was just like if anything happened to the banks like they did in 2008 and everything or they threatened was going to happen in 2008 with everything shut down it's like what would you do just yeah.
0: In hope. yeah
1: what would you do so um so i was just like there must be there must be another there must be something else out there now i'd heard of bitcoin um I'd heard about it in the news I think in 2013 because the price was going up and I'd heard the word and there was just something out of the word that I thought was quite intriguing. Um, I saw an episode of The Good Wife which was on Netflix. They had a whole episode that was kind of devoted to it and it looked, it, they kind of made it cartoony and fun okay. and like a okay. bit of a story but... You know, I thought it was an intriguing idea. So I kind of heard about it. So I knew that there was this other alternative way of making payments. But of course, while the banking system still worked, there's no strong motivator to move into that system. So I knew there was an alternative, but I didn't really understand it. So um, so part of what I learned about the financial system, um, you know, I started to learn about money. So I was having a conversation with my sister once I started to understand Bitcoin. I said to her, you know, what do you think gives our money value, Charlotte? And she was just like, well, our pound notes represent the amount of gold in the bank. And I was like, no, it really? doesn't. <laughs> but of course, you know, it. people still think that. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the surveys that um, I've mentioned in, in my book, 29% of Americans were recently surveyed in this particular survey and they still believe that their money was based on a gold standard. 29%. Wow. You know, because most people are not taught about what money is and how it works. So then, of course, the question becomes, well, you know, what is money then? And it's just like, okay, well, look at the banknote, and you know, on the banknote, you know, a twenty-pound note says uh, that I promised to pay the the bearer on demand twenty pounds. It's like, okay, twenty pounds of what? Now, of course, the thing is, we've all been convinced that these pieces of paper were worth twenty pounds because it used to be the case that these pieces of paper represented an amount of gold in the bank. But there was a point in history where that link no longer applied because what we don't realise is that. In order to, in order for those pieces of paper to represent the amount of gold in the bank, someone needed to be securing that certificate. So, you know, and for fifty years of um, late eighteen hundreds, you know, the whole of Europe was operating. On a gold standard and they'd kind of been conditioned to believe that, um, you know, these notes they were swapping was secure with and based against the gold that was being held in the bank. So they'd kind of been lulled into this false sense of security and it actually changed with the outbreak of First World War. Normally, if war breaks out and you're operating on a gold standard, the only way you've got to increase um the way of paying for these things is to tax the citizens more and of course there was going to be an outcry and of course the, the conflict was getting worse and worse and more and more expensive some bright spots said well let's just change the rules a little bit because no one will notice no. <laughs> and funnily enough no one did no one you know knows, they've been yeah. used to it. you know most people had died um since uh you know since they've been used to that and so most people like yeah the people at the top know what we're doing we'll just let that slide and of course you know once you do that you're just on a slippery slope yeah. um, and so yeah it was the First World War that caused it and of course you know then of course you slip into the Great Depression so the Great so what happened is after the war you know they created all these extra notes based on less and less gold and so people want, once the war was over people wanted to get back onto the gold standard so we could go back to normal but of course if you did Good. that you'd immediately cause deflation yeah, yeah. and they didn't want that so you know so Keane steps in and goes I have a bright idea <laughs> <laughs> how about we create aggregate demand if we get everyone spending then that'll get people working again because they'll be creating more demand and so and uh all the people who owned the gold and didn't want to face it went, excellent idea, let's yeah. go for that plan. <laughs> um, so, you know, and so then it began. And so we've created a whole new industry of people who use figures and numbers in order to manage the economy. And the problem with it is, is it does work for a while. Um, and you get a number of benefits when you, when you um, create what's called a fiat currency or a currency by decree, because, you know, what's been stable and has led people to believe that there's value in the economy, you can keep keep that myth going for quite a while Mm -hmm. um, and get a lot of benefit out of it. And so as a result, NHS was created, welfare services were created because you need a, a, a way to persuade Uh, the general masses to go along with it. So if they just kind of said, well, you know, it'll cause deflation. I mean, the people who've got no money don't care about that. They actually want deflation so they can afford to buy more stuff. But, you know, if you want the people who are rich to not have deflation, you need to kind of go, well, we're going to do it this way. I'm really sorry, guys. I know you want things to be cheaper, but we're not going to do it that way. But how about we give you health services and... We'll give you a pension, you know, will that make it better for you? And yeah. the population go, yay, because yeah. they have no understanding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so what happens for 100 years is, you know, these services balloon. People want... I mean, people love free stuff, so they want more and more free stuff. But, of course, behind the scenes, everything's creaking yeah. uh, because it can't sustain it. And because, you know, you created these, these monopolies and you've suppressed the price, so you have increased demand as the, as the supply and uh, de- demand curve... Um, illustrates and people wonder why these you know we've always had this service we need to protect the nhs you know it's amazing but it's getting bigger and it's getting more expensive and no one knows how to handle it and the politicians don't have to say no the professionals no longer have the ability to say no because they're trapped in a system that they have no control over Mm -hmm. um and everyone wonders why the world's falling apart
2: (laughs) Um,
1: and it all comes down to the way in which our money operates now the thing is you know, this is not the first time in history that um, fiat currencies have been invented. You know, other civilizations have, you know, Rome. This was the reason why Rome collapsed because, you know, they started started off with gold coins, but of course, you know, they established a certain level of society. They're not conquering as many lands anymore, but they want to preserve their um, lifestyles in the city. Mm-hmm. So Nero starts cutting, clipping coins to kind of keep all of their benefits going. Um, but, you know as they do that you know the and and then they start to mix it with different metals so they start to dilute the value of the currency and of course this is what led to the collapse of rome you know it's often how many empires end so you know you start off by getting all of these benefits from the fiat currencies but eventually it gets to the stage where there's a crisis and you can't fix it anymore Mm -hmm. and actually if you look back in history you know the financial crisis we've had whether it's the 1987 crash um japan's lost decade um you know we we the world finally came off the gold standard when um, richard nixon um took the us dollar off the gold standard in 1971 up until then things had kind of been had a lid on them to a certain extent because all currencies—they'd agreed at Bretton Woods that all currencies would be tied to yeah. um, the U.S. dollar. But when the U.S. dollar came off the gold standard, debt's just gone. Yeah. And and the thing is, you know, people people think property's a great investment, and I have to explain to my friends it's it's not that property's a great investment. It's because the money is bad. Because when the money is bad, and saving your money doesn't preserve your wealth you need something else that's a fixed asset so everyone so especially over the last 40 years that's why property prices have gone up so much so you know so everyone's kind of been conditioned to believe that you know property is the best investment which it has been for the last 40 years but you know it's like the shoeshine boy just before the Great Depression once everyone figures out that that's the best that's the best investment to be in you're at the top of a bubble (laughs) Um, and you know it's only a matter of time before because there's no one left it's like a Ponzi scheme. There's no one left at the bottom of the pyramid to buy into the top. You know, it's it's been saturated. And not only that, we've got these new builds springing up everywhere. They're often poor quality, much smaller than houses that used to be built. Yeah. And people are still buying them like mad. And they don't want just one, one house. They want two, three, four, because it's an equivalent pension fund. It's better than the stock. It's performed better than the stock market. But what you have to understand, it's not because the house is more valuable, it's because there's a problem with the money. Um, and so, you know, so what happens with that kind of stuff? You know, you have people who talk about world debt. I mean, world debt's now at $244 trillion, which is just a staggering oh, wow. amount of money. And the thing is, it's not just about the fact that there's that much debt in the world. I mean, some people go, well, why can't you just write it off? Yeah. Well, you can't write it off because most of that debt is someone else's asset. Yeah. You've got people investing in government bonds you've got people investing in housing you know all of these assets that people are investing in to try and preserve their value the moment you wipe out the debt you wipe out the assets because most of these assets are leveraged against debt yeah. Yeah, yeah. so the moment the debt goes you take the floor out of the housing market um, it's not based on anything solid anymore um, so you know what normally happens towards the end of these cycles is that the money loses its value and you kick into hyperinflation and so this is what a lot of these governments are pretty worried about because well they maintain they're not worried about it because they've managed to keep a lid it for so long and they believe they can keep doing it but ultimately what's happening behind the scenes is you know the money is losing so much value it's not worth anything anymore i mean i think in the last 10 years um government debt's gone from 37 trillion to 65 trillion now You know, if our money is essentially debt, it means the money that we're using in our businesses to buy and sell with each other is constantly losing its value. But that's not apparent to the people who are using it in their business. Um, So what it means is, you know, these pieces of paper, these numbers we use are essentially fraudulent. And the trouble is when you're using when you're using fraudulent numbers to make agreements and to make business transactions with people, you create moral hazards because, you know, people are using unequal knowledge in order to make those transactions, which is really hazardous for society. You know, you start making really poor decisions and you have people motivated to work in industries that know how to manipulate numbers rather than industries that are actually providing valuable services for people or vital products. Um, So, you know, it creates these distortions in society. And not only that, but the general public have no idea why that's happening. which is very distressing, you know, and, and it's a very insecure p- place to be, you know, if, you, if you're if you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the most basic layer is your physiological needs, but the next layer is safety, you yeah. know, and people really need their finances to feel safe. safe yeah. You know, anyone who doesn't have that, you know, if, if the floor's suddenly taken out of your finances, you know, if you've saved money all your life thinking that you're doing the right thing, and then it's destroyed from hyperinflation... Can you imagine how that's going to leave someone feeling? It doesn't matter how well you've been able to manipulate the numbers. The average person on the street who doesn't understand it is going to be devastated by that. So so it's a crisis. There's a crisis building, and it's going to happen. The only problem is we don't know when. Um, And so in these sorts of situations when this has happened before, and it's happened in other countries, even in modern times, you've got Venezuela, Zimbabwe, you know, a lot of these countries we hear about, but we've not really looked at it. Um, we don't really look at it closely. We hear rumours of it, but we don't know. You know, what happens is, you know, their currency... I mean, Venezuela used to be one of the most wealthy countries on the planet. Same with Argentina. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they ended up destroyed is because their countries went into hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the West has managed to kind of maintain their position and um their authority because they managed to kind of control the the system the best and of course America until 1971 was on the gold standard but if you look at a chart of US debt now you know it's just a hockey oh, stick it's yeah. just it is a reaching for the skies so you know at some point the whole thing's going to break down now when when countries slip into hyperinflation and this happened in Weimar Germany so Weimar Germany um, they because they were given such a heavy bill after the first world war because they were blamed for the war um, one of the reasons they went into hyperinflation is because they started to pay, print their own money in order to pay for the bills so pay their bills so what happened is you know their currency went into hockey stick and the value of gold just skyrocketed because the only form of sound money we've had up until this time um people have always reverted to gold, gold. because yeah. that's what holds its its value and you know up until 2009 that's the best form of money we've ever had which is why um currencies have tended to revert it to that and there are still many people who argue that when this crisis unfolds and there are a lot of people talking about it now um the you know, gold is the place to be because it's been money for three thousand years and that's where it's going to run to so, so, yeah now as a business person who understands the financial system i can tell you now I don't want to accept gold coins in my business. No, yeah, it's yeah. extremely inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, apart from anything else, you've got to prove that it's proper gold. You know, there's a lot of uh, talk about you know tungsten bars that are yeah. gold plated. You know, so there's a lot of it's still issues with fraud. Even if you're using gold, um, you've then got to find time to take it to a bank. You've then got to rely on the bank to certify it properly and not run off with your money, as they've already proved that they will do. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, gold has its limits. I mean, it might have been the best thing that we ever had up until now, um, but for a modern society...
0: step backwards, isn't it? It is. You know,
1: there's no way businesses are going to move forward by transacting with gold currency. So what else is there? So this is what led... So I'd heard about Bitcoin, and once I understood why gold was valuable... I was just like, okay, well, gold's not gonna work in reality, so what else is there? And then when I investigated Bitcoin, I realized it'd been programmed with the economic properties of gold. So it's like a digital solution, okay. but with the economic properties of gold, because the software is set up in such a way that only 21 million of them will ever be created. Okay. Yeah. But they can but unlike a gold coin, they can be divided. Right. Infinite. you know, I think it's a hundred million. Um, satoshis in, in a single bitcoin so you know because one of the arguments with the gold standard is you know it it um, concentrates wealth too much because people can't share it so in the middle ages for example rather than transacting with notes they'd often have tokens which would be mm-hmm. equivalent to gold and you know different shops would have different types of tokens and, and, and that kind of thing but you know, with Bitcoin, you don't have that problem. You know, you've so you've got a limit because only 21 million of them will be created. But once yeah, you divide the them basically. down, there's more than enough to supply the planet. So, of course, on the face of it, 21 million doesn't sound like that much for the global population. But when you realize how many they can divide into... Mm-hmm so um yeah so one bitcoin at the moment is 100 million satoshis so you know imagine when one satoshi is worth one dollar and you've yeah, got one bitcoin yeah, and you're like yeah, you're a hundred, yeah. hundred millionaire <laughs> well, yeah. multi multi-millionaire
2: i suppose with, with bitcoin i mean obviously people over especially the last two years when there was a lot of talk about it in the news and uh, various different things and people trying to you know because it, it was on the rise massively mm-hmm. and people <laughs> were trying to get into it and uh, from my understanding, obviously, what you're talking, we're talking about as a currency in a way and form of payment, whereas mm-hmm. a lot of people who don't know about it probably think of it as an investment. What's your views on a currency versus investment? Do you think it's both, or is it is it because it is quite volatile and,
1: Yes, it is. Um, and um and there are a lot of people who talk about this and they talk about the fact that um you know there are various. Stages that that money goes through in order to become money, and I think first of all you have to demonstrate that it can be used to pay for something. So the first time that happened, I think was in 2010 when someone's you know swaps in Bitcoin for someone to order them a pizza. so yeah, that yeah, was yeah, the first that, Bitcoin yeah. transaction. Um, then it becomes a store of value, which people have started. You know, now that people are understanding that it's a th- Digital form of sound money, yeah. um, so that's why people are investing in it, and um, and so of course the next thing is making it a unit of account, which is when it's being used by businesses in order to in order to um, you know manage their finances. yeah Now it is very speculative because it's been around ten years, and you have to realise the technology is still developing, and there may well still be flaws in it. However, I think it's worth talking about it because the fact that it's been around for ten years is. suggesting you know how strong it is i think in the first few years it was easy to dismiss but now as it's gaining in strength people are starting to take it more seriously um but the technology is still developing there are still issues about um you know whether or not it can scale and take further transactions and people are, are working very hard on on developing um that technology but at the moment what happens is you know there are there are these phases where it kind of goes to a par- parabolic peak, then it seems to crash, and then it goes to an- another parabolic peak. Because what what you notice is that when it crashes, it tends to its low point tends to be just above or slightly below the previous peak. Yeah, and it's done this almost three times now. So although people have been talking recently about the fact that it crashed for a price of twenty thousand to you know, I think the lowest it came to was three thousand dollars what you have to recognize is three years before that it was five hundred dollars so even though it's yeah. come down even Stainless. though it come down to three thousand dollars it was still like way up. You know, 20 times as much yeah. as it had been three years before yeah, yeah so and actually that previous parabolic peak in December 2018 that only occurred for about a month so anyone who bought it before I don't know, November 2017 is effectively still in profit because, you know, if you average it it out, it's just long-term trajectory is just gradually up and up and up because actually the value of the network increases the more people use it. Um, So I think in the short term, it's unlikely that um, it's going to be a form of currency. But the reason why I'm interested in it is because, you know, when I was running my own business, I understood the problems with the financial system and how fragile it is. Um, At the time, I hadn't thought about selling my business. I was still in the process where I was thinking of growing it and moving it to a new location. But what I realised was, you know, if... If the country were suddenly to start kicking into hyperinflation And we're already seeing the early stages of it You know, people are noticing mm. prices creeping up in the shops The quality of things going down Like I was explaining in the yeah. restaurants You yeah. know, yeah. you're yeah. paying top dollar for some of these meals And they're not always very nice yeah. um, So, you know, we are in the early stages You, you can sit within the early stages for a long time What happens is, you know, these things creep up on you gradually And then they change very suddenly And so what happens is, you know Something that costs $10 one day will be $100 the next week and this is why people's savings get eliminated because they can't buy the same things they could for the same amount of money they could the week before so I started introducing it as a payment method in my business because not because I expected people to suddenly come in and want to start paying Bitcoin but because I wanted to educate my clients about it and get them to start thinking about it because what I realized was you know at some point things were going to tip and um, and they could tip quite suddenly so um and in a situation where they tip, where it tips, if you've been used to taking payments in fiat currency, and that fiat currency is suddenly going from ten to hundred to a thousand, you know, in the space of a week, if you're taking payments in Bitcoin, you can offer a discount. Because the chances are the Bitcoin that you're collecting will be going from 10,000 Satoshis to 1,000 Satoshis to 100 Satoshis, you know, in the other direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a situation of hyperinflation, what it means is that a business can stay on its feet because you're collecting, even if you're offering a discount, you're collecting a form of payment that's going to be going up in value, which will help you to pay your bills, help you to pay your staff and essentially will keep you in business. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but the thing is, you know, because of its nature right now, I mean, I gave my clients the opportunity to pay in Bitcoin for a year. And the reality of the situation is no one did, no. especially as a 2017. And it's like every day you own Bitcoin, you know, you're just getting richer, richer, yeah, richer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't expect anyone, anyone to, to give it to me. But that wasn't actually the purpose of the exercise. The purpose of the exercise was to get people talking so about it, to, to, to make sure. them aware of it. Yeah. Because you know, these things are very hard to prepare for in a crisis. You need to know ahead of time that it's coming so you have a chance to prepare um, and so that you can get the background in place. And so, you know, it took me a while to understand things and and set everything up. But once I understood how critical it was and what a difference it was going to make to my business, I kind of thought, well, I'm interested in this and I've spent time on this. But there are other businesses out there that aren't interested in this. They're not going to spend time on it. And when it comes to a crisis, they're going to have no clue what to do so um when I started my business my first thing I wanted to do was just have a year off just to recover from burnout but that year came to an end in September and I was just like well now what I'm going to do and I was like well I think this is a really important issue and um I don't want to go back to dentistry and I'd much rather work on something that I'm passionate about so I've decided to write a book about you know that kind of encompasses my story and everything that I know so that In a situation of crisis, people have got something that they can read in a few hours, which gives them the overview. And then I'm going to have a website which will teach people, you know, how to buy Bitcoin, how to store it safely. And for businesses, how to quickly accept it as a form of payment. Because the idea is that, you know, in a situation of crisis and people go... What do I do? It's just like you go here. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, just one more. And you account. will know what to, what to do within an
1: hour. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so is it, is it purely focused around Bitcoin then and how to as a payment or do you speak a little bit about the financial industry and, and how it's led you up to that point?
1: My book. Yeah. It's designed for the average person who knows nothing about it. Okay. Um, you know, I think some of the Bitcoin community may or may not be interested in I mean, I'm quite keyed into the Bitcoin community and I've told them about it and they kind of meh because they feel like they know about know it already. It. Yeah. But it's not really written for them, it's written for the people who've heard about it who mainly mainly you've maybe only heard about it as for criminals or um a great Martin. investment opportunity. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean great but it's more than that. Yeah. And also it's understanding how important it is, not just for business owners, but for the average person on the street, because if all the business owners suddenly clue into what it is, all the people on the street will want some so that they can pay for the services exactly that they it. still want. Um, so it's designed for the average person um, the book is designed for the advertisement and basically it takes them through my story of how I became a dentist how I became interested in bitcoin um, it's got a chapter on how money works um, it's got a chapter on how um, bitcoin works developed got some simple diagrams to help people get their head around it yeah. it also talks about you know how I introduced it as a payment method the also, the other thing for businesses to understand is, you know, accepting the payment is actually the easy bit. The challenge is behind the scenes, you know, how do you handle the tax? How do you handle recording the transactions? Um, you know, how do you handle things with your accountants? And so, you know, a lot of that is about explaining the fact that, you know, until there's a crisis, it's the payments you get in Bitcoin are like to be few and far between. However, it's worth learning about it ahead of time yeah. so that, um you know, if something happens quickly, you're prepared. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of explaining that to them, why that is. And then the third section of the book. So the first section of the book is, a, you know, my story, how I got interested in it. The middle part of the book is for businesses and what they need to consider. And the third part of the book is about the future and also how Bitcoin differentiates from other blockchain technologies. Um, I've talked about that quite specifically because the thing is, in a situation of crisis, the danger will be, that the government has a solution ready to give you rather than the solution yeah, that's best. Sure. Yeah. Because you know, if this mess has been created by the fact that there are people who are managing our society in their own interests, um, mm. the chances are it's not gonna be in our interests. Yeah. So you know, this will be an opportunity for us to take our power back, but that's only gonna happen if people know about it. Um, because essentially if Bitcoin is a form of sound money, If businesses can start to accept that as a form of money, you take the businesses and you take the government and banks out of the loop. Apart from the fact that the government's going to arrest you unless you pay them enough tax. Essentially, it's it's a form of free speech and it's a way of um, businesses having their independence again. But it will only work if everybody understands it. So I think the the understanding is key. So that was the other reason why I wrote the book because although I follow the Bitcoin community um, and everything like that, there are a lot of Financial people who talk about a lot of economists who talk about it and the top with economists is You know, they they've never worked in a real business. You know, they've they've yeah, learned
2: so Yeah, they,
1: they've learned all these clever tricks and techniques which work to a certain extent and, But ultimately when it comes to the end game the people go I've had enough of this yeah. <laughs> You know, it's about what works for them And the thing is the way money is supposed to work is it, it's supposed to manage the fair exchange mm-hmm. Of business transactions, but the trouble is we're now using notes and numbers that are fraudulent, and this is creating a lot of sickness in society, um, you know, and mental health problems, because people can't feel safe. You know, in order to take a step forward, you need some purchase. You need to know, you know, where you're going and where your foundation is. And if the foundation is being destroyed, what are you supposed That's to do? Right. Yeah. You know, it's no, it's no wonder people feel confused these days. So i'm not right i'm done (laughs) this is the most important thing i can do in my life right now because no one else is doing it you know and even the bitcoin community you know there are people who understand the technology but they don't understand the financial side there are people who understand the financial side but they don't understand the technology or they don't understand how businesses work so you know it's a very it's a very complex thing that very few people appear to have completely got their head around. Um, But I think from my perspective, because I was a business owner, not only that, because I spent 20 years figuring out what the issues were with the NHS compared to private industry, um, you know, it kind of primed me to understand it. And then of course, being in a situation where I had to handle running a business in the midst of a financial crisis, you know, uh, life couldn't have prepared me better for this role really yeah, um, yeah. so it's, it's just like pieces. well no one else is talking about it yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd better get in there because yeah. this crisis on, is on the horizon I mean I don't know how familiar you are with what's going on but you know the repo rates are spiking all over yeah, the place yeah. and the feds yeah. injecting money and it's just like oh my god any day now it's like the end of last year I was writing this book and I was watching these videos on the repo markets like, oh my god we try this quick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. people And then, of course, you know, my editor's slow, my formatters are slow, my cover designer is like, oh my god. You're close now to releasing it, aren't you? Yes, I'm hoping by the end of March. So, I mean, it's almost formatted, but, you know, I've got to build up some momentum. You have to release you have to release a book in a certain way if it's going to gain some traction. So, you know, I'm really grateful for your invitation to come and talk to you today because obviously, you know, you have to kind of get the word out. So when
2: your book comes out, how can people find it? And what is the name? If you've got Uh, the name yet.
1: Yes, I have. Well, the title is Truth Decay, How uh, Bitcoin Fixes This. Obviously, Truth Decay is a pun on uh, Uh, on tooth decay. Um, But I have a website up for people who are interested so they can sign up for my newsletter. Um, you You have to be really careful with email newsletters these days so unless you agree to subscribe with the emails they send you, you're not allowed to send the further email letters. Yeah, so yeah, if right. you do sign up for the email letter, you must click, I agree. Otherwise, I can't send you anything else. <laughs> it's satoshispage.com or howbitcoinfixesthis.com or truth2khowbitcoinfixesthis.com. So I've got various, um, I've got various uh, website titles, so you should okay. be able to find it. Um, but satoshispage.com or howbitcoinfixesthis.com will take you there. So there's a website which talks about the book. It's got a picture of the cover um, and um, a summary. And if you sign up for my newsletter, people who sign up for my newsletter, as soon as it's launched, if they keep an eye on it, I'll be releasing it for free for a couple of days so people will be able to download it on their Kindle. Um, And the idea behind that is that I need some early reviews. People who get it, if they could give me a review, I'd be forever grateful because that's what's going to help. You know, I've kept it as genuine as possible i'm not trying to sell anyone anything no. i i just people need to know yeah. what's coming yeah. you made
0: it relatable i think that's yeah. key yes. because you can kind of when you sit here and think oh, okay yeah that makes sense why well, i should do that not just yeah. you should do this you should do this it's, you should do this because of this yeah, yeah. thank you again thank you very for much.
1: having me it's been great
0: this is the entrepreneur academy if you have a question use the hashtag the entrepreneur academy